from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A new outlook for ag from some top economists. We're telling 2024 to be a less positive story than we would have just a few months ago. Why some are changing their minds about 2024. The supply chain crunch picking up again at key water crossings around the world. We are realizing that in a very, very dry year, these measures are not enough. The impact it's having on U.S. markets right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Shipping problems are growing around the world. Reuters reporting 16 vessels carrying grain were diverted from the Suez Canal to sail around the Cape of Good Hope. That's after attacks on vessels in the Red Sea. It adds up to almost 4 million tons of grain having to be rerouted. Agnes Michelle Rook joins me with an update. And Michelle, this is impacting prices here at home. Right, Clinton, because it curbs demand and drives up transportation costs, and that generally is passed down to farmers in the form of wider basis levels and lower grain prices. The cascade of ag shipping headwinds started with low water levels in the Mississippi River and Panama Canal and has now shifted to the Red Sea. About 7 million metric tons of grain cargoes go through the Suez Canal each month. A portion is U.S. grain, but that is being limited by the Middle East conflict and ocean freight rates in the Red Sea have doubled in the last month. There's a fair amount of ag products that, that go through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. It's a shorter shipping route than having to go through or go around Africa. Um, and right now with the uh, combatant fire on U.S. flag, British flag ships going through that, um, through that canal, it's, it's caused a lot of traffic to be diverted around Africa, which is adding time and cost uh, for shipping U.S. goods. One alternative is the Panama Canal, which is also seeing less volume due to the drought. At shipments going through the canal are down about a third um, because of just low water levels there, uh, which is causing a lot of traffic to have to go around South America rather than to be able to cut through uh, the canal. And so U.S. grain is being routed through the Pacific Northwest to get to Asia, also driving up shipping costs. I don't have precise numbers on how much it's increasing the rates, um, but it is it is enough to where it's making U.S. grain a little bit less competitive relative to some of our peers. And that leads to lower demand and trickles down to farmers in the form of lower grain prices. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. And we'll have more on the shipping problems plaguing the Panama Canal coming up. Now, an update to a story we've been watching. The International Trade Commission announcing it's upholding its decision that U.S. fertilizer companies were harmed by Moroccan and Russian imports. The ITC determining again that the imports had a significant impact on the domestic industry, saying in court documents the downward pricing pressure from the imports forced the industry here to cut prices, which in turn caused revenues to be lowered. Now, the decision comes after the U.S. Commerce Department in November announced it was actually lowering duties placed on phosphate fertilizers imported from Morocco. The tariffs started back in 2021 after a petition from Mosaic to impose duties on phosphate imported from Morocco and Russia. And the U.S. Court of International Trade says it will review the latest decision. This January has been a wild ride when it comes to the weather, but things may quiet down a bit in the month. Meteorologist Ben Engelbrecht has a look ahead. 
As we're looking ahead, something we talked about last week and we'll talk about this week is the shape of the jet stream. As we know, we, we can follow kind of what's going on at the surface, but all the, also the overall pattern, whether it's going to be a warm or cold pattern going forward. So here's a look at the jet stream coming up on Monday. Pretty interesting as we get towards the middle of the week and closer to the weekend what ends up happening. So this is jet stream on Wednesday. You got a trough, a low pressure system at the surface, but this is more of kind of a clipper system that's going to work from the north down to the south, pick up a lot of Atlantic moisture and then exit to the northeast. It's also going to kind of bottle things up and much like what we saw in the summer you know, where we had a trough digging here and then one off uh, the coast, the west coast in the middle of the country, a ridge of high pressure is going to form and it's not just one of those small ridges. When you see these white lines go way up here into Canada, now that's because this trough and that trough is kind of squashing the atmosphere. So again, there's the jet stream coming up on Thursday. We'll talk more about this coming up in just a little bit. And a big concern amid the melting snow in the Midwest, rising river levels caused by ice jams, especially along the Kankakee River. Uh, the county sheriff's office capturing these scenes of the ice on the river last week. Officials reporting a rise of three feet in river levels just in one hour on Friday. And they are concerned about flooding in Wilmington, Illinois. Hey, a new study says Texas could lose more than $993 million this year due to a water deficit. Texas A&M Center for North American Studies says the losses are due to the absence of irrigation water for crop production in the lower Rio Grande Valley region. The study blames the issue mainly on Mexico's failure to deliver water to the U.S. as promised in a 1944 water treaty. It estimates a loss of over 8,000 jobs along with substantial economic hits in vegetable, sugarcane, and other crop production. Now, the current Mexican water deficit is the second largest in the last three decades. The Ag Economist Monthly Monitor surveys nearly 70 ag economists from across the country, serving as a gauge of the farm economy. Well, this month, the survey found soybeans currently pencil better than corn. But as Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan tells us, net farm income is expected to take a major hit in 2024. Ag Economist's views on the ag economy took a dive in the first Ag Economist's monthly monitor of 2024. We certainly saw the results in the January numbers suggesting a, a downturn, probably the largest downturn since we've started the survey. University of Missouri Ag Economist Scott Brown helps author the monthly monitor. And he says from December to the latest survey in January, projections for corn prices fell 25 cents per bushel. Just one sign that economists are growing more pessimistic at the start of the year. I don't want to make a trend out of just one survey, but if we continue down the path that we started with the January estimates, perhaps uh, we're, we're telling 2024 to be a less positive story than we would have just a few months ago. The average estimate for net farm income also took a turn, falling to $135 billion for 2024. You know, let's just remember that back in 2020, we would have talked about net farm income at about $95 billion. So this is still uh, much higher than where we would have been in that kind of 2016 through 2020 period. Economists were then asked to rank each commodity by financial strength, 10 being the strongest, one being the weakest. Scott Brown says it's no surprise cattle continues to top that list. And when you look at where we're at on prices, yes, we've lost in the last couple of months a, a a little bit of cattle price strength, but I think it's starting to turn back around and just how tight we are on the supply side. 
Soybeans rank second, followed by sorghum, corn, and wheat. But ag economist Bill Lapp says declining commodity prices for crops continues to be the headline. I think the January 12 reports uh, gave us maybe some cold truth that we weren't ready for. And he says as USDA prepares for its Ag Outlook Forum next month, USDA will provide the first snapshot of supply and demand projections for 2024 through 2025. And he thinks the theme of growing stocks will continue. And then the last time we saw this was the 2012 through 2015 period where we where we pushed prices sharply lower. As farmers weigh acreage decisions, ag economists were asked which commodity pencils better in 2024 corn or soybeans. Just under 60% said soybeans, while a little over 40% answered corn. Here in Missouri on our numbers, uh, we certainly are suggesting both crops, you know, fall in terms of profitability, corn even moving into the negative territory over total cost. With average production, with the prices that we're forecasting and the costs that I have penciled in for both corn and soybeans, uh, soybeans returns about a 40 to $50 per acre, you know, net return over corn. All right, thanks, Tyne. European farmer protests continue to spread. Now, French farmers are taking to the streets in protest, blocking those streets, even spraying manure over a co-op supermarket in a city there. It's reported the manure caused part of the store's ceiling to collapse. Now, others are reportedly dumping hay inside a McDonald's and in front of a government building. The farmers continuing to protest low food prices and what they see as excessive bureaucracy, including taxes, trade agreements, and green regulations. Farmers saying the protests, which have gone on for more than two weeks, will continue as long as their demands are not met. The French government has postponed a draft farming law meant to help more people become farmers, saying it will beef up the measures and ease some regulations. Cattle markets shined in the week while grain markets finish in the red. We'll see where things are headed to start this Monday, coming up next in Markets Now. And later, a closer look at a vital trade route now severely limited by drought. We're off to the Panama Canal in the country. Corn and soybeans dropping again on Friday. Could we see some improvements this week? Michelle Rook is back with hopefully better news in Markets Now. Welcome to Markets Now. I'm Michelle Rook with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Uh, we had some higher livestock futures on Friday, but the grains all in negative territory, Mike. And boy, did the funds just come back in here and pounce on this grain trade? Yeah, I really think they did, Michelle. And I think that, you know, the market in, in the grains has been very negative on the demand side. Why? Because of China. And then we got that surprise stimulus two nights in a row. We saw the crude oil market really kick into gear. We saw the copper kick into gear and we saw the wheat kick into gear. And those are kind of the three canaries in the coal mine for me when it comes to China. And that was a really nice breath of fresh air to offset the negative demand and negative situation with the deflation mindset, but it didn't hold. And I think that's where the funds who probably jumped in midweek and small traders that jumped in midweek, they probably jumped right back out again on Friday. Um, mainly, I think because the, the Asian markets, Thursday night, Friday morning, they just didn't get done what they needed to. So cattle and hogs making new highs for the move, funds back in there buying, but we also had some strong cash trade on cattle. We did, and I think we had active cash trade on the fat cattle. We needed strong cash trade on the feeders because of the cash index being below that January contract that's now gone and off the board. And, and we needed some cash movement that was reported in the fat cattle. We got both, and we also had some wedges or coils in these markets on some of the daily charts. 
and we still have gaps above the market from that big break to the downside a couple months ago that I think now are probably registering on some of the mechanical trading, some of the algo trading models because they're closer uh, than they certainly were at the beginning of this past week. Do you think these trends are going to continue as we start this new week? I think it can. I, I really think that we're in a situation, though, with all the whole commodity market. I think we start thinking in agriculture, whether it's cattle or corn, about are we in a 1990s deflationary trend because of China uh, instead of Japan, and are they going to export deflation to the world? That means I think the Hong Kong market and the stock exchange and the Chinese currency really need to shift their trend. And I think that's a key. Thanks for joining us, Mike Zuzo, the Global Commodity Analytics. We'll have more on Gate coming up. So like I said, I want to revisit what's going on in the jet stream. We're going to get a blocking pattern set up with the jet stream, something we talked about last week. So all depends on where you're located. The trough, both of them, the one developing to the east and also to the west, are going to bring soaking rain, cloudy weather, and cool temperatures to those locations. Now, if you find yourself kind of in between the two, that's where we're going to see a surge of some warm air, at least for this time of year, and dry conditions. But again, uh, this is a forecast uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. We're gonna have to watch this very closely because a small adjustment with this trough with this low back here to the east will be the difference between the high temperatures in the 50s for parts of Michigan, Ohio, the Indiana, even Illinois, and the difference between the 50s and uh, the 40s and upper 30s, depending on where this sets up. And of course, if we adjust this on Friday and Saturday, that's going to move this and eventually move that. So it is a blocking pattern with everything kind of moving together, but not a lot of west to east transition with our storm systems. And so you can see the temperature outlook all the way through the 8th. It keeps above average temperatures in the forecast, a little bit cooler on the west coast because of that digging trough. Now of the two that we saw in the jet stream, this one's going to be weaker than that one. So eventually the pattern is going to break down. But when we talk blocking patterns, that's not a day or two. Uh, that is a good seven to 10 day period before it starts to break down and some of that cooler air will start to be ushered in and across the United States. So again, there's that temperature outlook precipitation forecast for this week. Uh, what you're going to see is kind of what's matching up uh, on that, uh, that jet stream forecast that we looked at uh, where the uh, trough isn't as strong in the east coast, but there is going to be some rain in the forecast this week right there towards the east coast and the northeast. A blank slate in and across the plains with that warm air and then torrential rainfall on the west coast with that next low pressure system sitting right off the west coast. Tennessee, Livingston, we've got some morning clouds, high around 40 degrees. Alabama, fair hope, mostly sunny, high about 58. Dugway, partly cloudy. High of 47. Machinery Pete talks about a lot of red and green farm equipment, but this morning he's all in when it comes to orange. Hey folks, I got my orange on today. Got me thinking Kubota, and I want to talk about a few low hour Kubota items that have run across my desk here recently. And let's start with a farm auction uh, January 24th in Cobbleskill, New York by Mel Manassi and Sons. This like-new Kubota M7-172 tractor with only 270 hours on it with an LM2605 loader sold for $90,000. On that same auction, this Kubota M6-S111, 390 hours, open station with a Kubota loader, went for $42,500. Uh, 
Now, of course, on the skid steer front, Kubota is a big player in the game. I've actually seen over 1,350 Kubota skid steers sold at auction the past 24 years. One that caught my eye recently was on a November 1st online auction out of Meeker, Oklahoma. This 2021 SVL 97-2, 198 hours on it, like new condition, went for $72,500. That was the fourth highest auction price in 2023 on a Kubota skid steer. Now, of course, mini excavators have been red hot here the last 18 months or so. And my friends at Fraley Auction Company had their 18th annual Hoover Tractor Auction on January 1st, 2024 in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. And they sold this Kubota KX040-4, only 80 hours on it, went for $63,130. And folks, I'll leave you with three Kubota items listed for sale uh, by the John Greeno Estate. These are for sale privately in our MachineRepeat.com website from West Salem, Ohio. Really barn fine items here. This 2021 Kubota KX057-5 excavator, one hour on it. Also a pair of 2018 front mount Kubota mowers. This F3990 with one hour and this F2690 with five hours. Again, those are listed for sale at machinerypeat.com. All right, thanks, Greg. Well, equipment makers say they're just now getting their supply chains back to normal. But new shipping issues threaten to significantly disrupt global trade once again. The latest from Panama in the country. In the Red Sea, Iran-backed Houthi militants continue to attack commercial ships in what they call revenge for Israel's war against Hamas. As Patrick Ottman reports, some companies have been forced to suspend shipping through the Red Sea, specifically the connecting Suez Canal, an issue that is exacerbated by ships' limited access to another crucial trade route, the Panama Canal. As the Red Sea crisis forces cargo vessels to find alternative shipping routes, environmental threats are limiting the use of the Panama Canal, creating a complicated situation for maritime trade. A severe ongoing drought is causing dangerously low water levels in the canal. Some ocean carriers had chosen to reroute through the Suez Canal, which connects the Mediterranean to the Red Sea, before Houthi attacks on commercial vessels in that region escalated. But now many ships can't rely on either waterway, leading to shipping delays and price hikes. We have been forced to decrease by 24 vessels a day from the usual 36 or 38 in order to guarantee 44 feet depth, and we will keep this number of vessels until the end of the summer. The 80-kilometer shipping route connects the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans, but uses fresh water from surrounding lakes to fill its many locks. The U.S., China, and Japan frequent the waterway for maritime trade. But an unfavorable combination of El Nino and global warming is hurting the Panama Canal like never before, Espino says. 2023 was the second driest year for the waterway in its 110-year history. Water use mitigation efforts, including treatment plants and saving tanks, have proven not to be enough. El Nino now projected to persist until sometime between April and June, according to the National Weather Service. We are realizing that in a very, very dry year, these measures are not enough, so we have to look for an additional solution. One idea, a dam on Rio Indio that would need approval from a government that's now in an election year a plan that would impact more than 2,000 Rio Indio residents. 
As a temporary solution, global shipping giant Maersk is using rail transport for some shipments to reduce its footprint through the water route. But until drought no longer plagues the Panama Canal and violence eases in the Red Sea, this perfect storm of maritime trouble has global manufacturers and shipping companies at an impasse. All right, thanks, Patrick. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tune in from all of us here at Agda. I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.